Welcome to the Grace Long Beach Podcast, a series of sermons from our weekly Sunday gathering. For more information on our church community, values, and service times, please visit www.gracelb.org. Thanks for listening. Today's reading is John 4, 46 through 54. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, Come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kids, you are dismissed to King's Quest as the rest of us are seated. Good morning. My name is Eric Balmer. I'm one of the elders here. As we were just praying, it dawned on me, if you believe that God has removed his hand from this church, I will remind you that it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. God initiates repentance. And that suggests to me that God has not removed his hand from us, but is with us. Um, why are we here? I just have some thought about that before coming to, to share with you this morning. Why do people come to church? Why do we do this thing called church? And I just jotted down a few thoughts. Um, by no means are they exhaustive, but why do we come to church? We've been lied to uh, a lot this week. In fact, every week. Uh, We've been lied to by the culture. We've been lied to by the devil. Um, There is a spiritual realm. We've been lied to by ourselves. And we need to be reminded of what the truth is. Uh, A couple weeks ago, I ran into a friend. I hadn't seen him in a while. And I asked him, Hey, you know, have you thought about coming back to church? And he said, no, to be honest, I feel like if I were to go back to church, I'd be a hypocrite. And I looked at him and I said, that's a lie from the devil. (laughs) And he looked at me and he knew that what I said to him was true. Um, We come to church because we need to be reminded and reoriented to the true story of the world, that God is in 
that God in Christ is reconciling all things to himself. We come here to reorient ourselves to, to get to, work, to play, a place where our hearts find true, everlasting rest. Rest that satisfies. I think you all know the quote by Augustine, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Think about what's happened recently with the suicides of Bourdain and others. I read an article this week that was trying to process this. <clears throat> and one of the things that it mentioned was a lot of people who finally achieve what everybody's trying to find in life when they actually get it and realize that they're still un- that they're unhappy, it's crippling. And what we have in Christ is the living water that is forever satisfying and forever quenches. You do find true happiness and you do find true rest in Jesus. We're here to also sort of rightly calibrate our standing in the world to, re- to remind ourselves that God is on the throne, that God is the creator, and that we're the creatures. And that we're fully human and truly human when we recognize our utter and complete dependence on God. We come here to worship God collectively, corporately. We come here to uh, every other week to receive the bread and the cup, what the Reformed tra- tradition calls the means of grace to strengthen us on our journey. We come here to love, another, love one another, to bear one another's burdens. In short, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And finally, just these thoughts that I was jotting down is, the church provides us with community uh, in a world that is relationally impoverished. Uh, this is the true social network. Um, so anyways, with that, those, those thoughts in mind, let's, let's pray, and we'll turn to today's um, scripture. Father, thank you for the church. It wasn't just a good idea. It, it's an essential part of the Christian life. Thank you for this church. Uh, Lord, we come to you today and, and recognize that you are the, the creator and that we're the creatures and that we depend upon you. And I pray that you'd have mercy on us and show us Jesus um, in today's scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're doing a series this summer of seven psalms and seven signs. Last week, Steve preached on a psalm. The week prior to that, Will preach on the first sign. The Gospel of John has seven signs culminating in the raising of Lazarus. Um, and today we're going to look at the second sign. Um, the, the, so if you don't mind, turn in, in your Bibles to John chapter 4, verses 46 through 54. This is, uh, this is what Marcia read this morning. A little bit of background. Um, Jesus is traveling northward up through Israel. He's traveled um, from Jerusalem through Samaria, where he meets the woman at the well. And then he comes into the village of Cana in Galilee, and Galilee's in the north. And in fact, the first two uh, signs in John are in Cana. Uh, and also, in the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John doesn't use the word miraculous. It uses the word signs, okay? Um, and if you just were to do a left-to-right reading of the Gospel of John from, from the prologue um, up to this point in the text, you have these key events that have, that have already sort of come forth. 
you have the prologue right in the beginning, John 1. Uh, this is John's sort of commentary on Genesis 1, on the creation account. And John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. Right? It's, it's this majestic, powerful claim um, where we see the, the divinity of Jesus and the, the, the co-eternal nature of Jesus with the Father. And then in chapter 1, verse 14, we see that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled with us. God becomes man. Um, as, the, as the text moves, you have um, the gathering of the disciples. In chapter 2, you have the first sign, um, which is the changing of the water to wine. Um, where, well, where Will pointed out to us, we see the gods on the move, and we see these indicators of the generosity and the great abundance of God. Um, then there's the cleansing of the temple early in the Gospel of John and driving out of the moneylenders at Passover. And then we have this mysterious secret meeting in the night with Nicodemus. And then we have um, Jesus starts going up from Jerusalem. And we have uh, the story of the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. If you were to read the Gospel of John um, from these first, and just circled the names or identities that are given to Jesus, I jotted them down. Here are the things, the names or identities that are ascribed to Jesus up to this point in our text. Jesus, and you can, do a, you can, uh, you can be a Berean and check me on this if you'd like. Um, Jesus is referred to as the Word, Son of God, Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, Messiah, King of Israel, the one promised in the Scriptures, Prophet, the one who baptizes with the Spirit, the Bridegroom, Son of Man. So, God is on the move. His, uh, the reputation of Christ has gone forth, and Jesus' reputation has spread, and we have today's story where you have a royal official who goes out to meet Jesus, and he has an urgent request from him. Uh, he's, if you do some of the geography, he's traveled 25 miles for, from Capernaum to Cana. He's traveled uh, 25 miles, climbing over 1,300 feet in elevation as he journeys from Capernaum to Cana. So let's take a look at the first half of this text. So turn to John 4, verse 46, and it's quite a straightforward narrative. It says, Then he, Jesus, he came to Cana in Galilee, where he had changed the water into wine. Now there was a royal official whose son lay ill in Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official, the official said to him, Sir, come down before my little boy dies. So Jesus said to him, Go. Your son will live. The man travels 25 miles, and it's pretty clear that the reason he's doing that is he's desperate. He's heard of Jesus, and his son, as the text says, is at the point of death. 
And he goes to Jesus and he says, Heal my son. And Jesus says to him, and your, your, your Bible will probably says it, it's uh, plural here. He says, unless you all. He sort of speaks through the man and makes a more general claim. Unless you, see, unless you all see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Um, seems like a big non sequitur, right? Something that doesn't follow. Uh, heal my son. Uh, unless you all believe, you, uh, unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. It seems like a non sequitur. It seems... Inapt, inappropriate. In fact, at some level, it even seems kind of rude, you know. Um, he seems to be ignoring the man's request. The man, the royal official, then says, ignores what Jesus says. And he says, he doubles down. And he says, um, Sir, in, in, my t- in my translation, Sir, come down before my little boy dies. Then Jesus says to him, go, your son will live. Um, so can I get the uh, first slide up? Um, so commentators, and as I was looking at this passage, commentators have noticed that there's sort of um, a parallel structure between the first two Cana signs in the Gospel of John. And um, so they sort of parallel each other. So I just, if, I know that this is uh, quite small. Um, in fact, I can't read the one that's projected for me right there. Um, so I'm going to be rude and turn away from you a little bit. But uh, just, just notice that the, there's a parallel structure that happens between the first sign of Cana and the, the second one that we're looking at today. You have, in the first sign, Jesus' mother reports that the host has run out of wine. Okay, this was the passage that Will spoke on. And in this one, the parallel is the official, the royal official, comes to Jesus with a, a request that his son be healed. Okay, back to the first sign. Jesus rebuffs his mother and ignores her request. Remember, he says, what does this have to do with me? My hour hasn't come yet. There's this distancing. Um, and then in, in today's text, Jesus rebuffs or ignores the, the request. He says, unless you all see signs, you won't believe. Uh, first sign, three. Jesus' mother tells the servants to do whatever he tells them. The royal official renews, he doubles down, he renews his petition. Four, uh, Jesus commands the servants to go fill the jars, and Jesus commands the official, and says, go, your son will live. We haven't read the rest of the text yet, but um, five, the servants obey Jesus' word. In today's, the man obeys Jesus' word. Six, the servants who had drawn the water know they they see what happens. They, the, they see that the water has turned to wine. Six, corroboration by the servants uh, who know that his fever has left him. We'll, and then finally, the disciples believe. And then, in, and then seven, uh, the, the official and his household believe. Uh, next slide, if you don't mind. So to simplify those slides, what you see in these two uh, stories is this structure of there's a request, there's a, a rebuff, and there's a delayed response. Okay, so I'm just going to, le- I just want to leave that text on, uh, this on the board as sort of a, a, a rubric to help us think through things. And at some level, um, 
I'll be thinking of, I just want to point out a couple things about the story and make some observations and also just think about your own journey, your own pilgrimage, so to speak. So the first thing I want to say is notice that the royal official's response to uh, Jesus' promise. Jesus says, go, your son will live. And if you look at the text, it says, in, in verse 50, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he started on his way. There were no bells and whistles, no evidence of the senses. He didn't get to see a person who was born blind have his sight restored. He did not get to see a person being raised from the dead. He didn't see any tongues of fire. There was merely a word unaccompanied by anything smacking of the miraculous. And he just was, was given the word of Jesus. And he went on his way. And you and I, in many respects, are in the same situation. Um, a lot of times people say to me, Eric... Uh, where's the miracles? Where, I, like, I don't see a miracle here. And I say, well, yeah, I, I pray for a miracle. I, I want there to be a miracle. When people are sick, when things are down, I pray in faith. But I also think, well, they're miracles. So by nature, they're rare. Right? And I say that because we don't actually see a lot of miracles in our lives. Right? But we do have the word. We do have the promises spoken to us. And so there's a sense in which we're like the royal official and that what we've been given is the word of God and the promises of God. And that is what we go from. We are called to believe and go on our way. Um, And as I think about that, Lately, sort of as, as a kind of personal reflection, um, I feel as if um, God is calling me to um, just show, have some more trust and more confidence in Him. Um, we sort of live in an age right now of like perpetual agnosticism. Uh, we're, we're afraid to make claims that sound too confident. Uh, we're, 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 we, we, we sort of hedge. Um, I find myself doing that. I'll hedge. I'll qualify. I don't ever want to land on something, and I don't want to sound confident about something because uh, it's just not cool, right? And, um, you know, we say things like, well, you know, that's your perspective, or that's your experience of things, or that's how you see things, and um, because we just don't want to come across as certain. And in certain respects, that's good because usually there's an arrogance that comes along with, with being certain or confidence in things, and, and that's a healthy corrective. But what I've noticed in my own life is it's kind of creeped into my own faith. Um, I'm unwilling to commit to things. I'm unwilling to show confidence. And I'll say things like, yeah, I, I, hope, I hope that Jesus rose from the dead. I hope it's true. Um, 
yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a believer who doubts. I'm 51% belief, 49% doubt. Um, I, I, yeah, I, 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 I think it's God exists. Um, I hope this story that I've devoted my life to is true. And I, I, I've said those things. And lately in my life, I feel as if God is calling me to greater confidence and trust in his promises. And uh, Beth and Stacy Blue and some others, we have this Bible study that we have at our house that meets uh, periodically. And recently we were reading the book of Romans. And as we were in the, reading the book of Romans, I had this, this uh, I was convicted by Romans 4, and, in, and I was actually quite surprised by it. And it's, it's, it's an account of Abraham, the faith of Abraham, and so, you guys know this, but here you have this, this guy who um, was, you know, his, his, uh, his wife was in her 90s, he was around 100 years old, and God says to him, you're going to have a son. And through this son, and you're going to have descendants as numerous as the stars of the heavens and the sands of the sea. And, and it also says that at another point in Abraham's life, we think about not in Romans 4, but this is a guy who God said, oh yeah, go take your son and, and, and kill him. Right? And in Romans 4, we'll just, I'll just read the text. Romans 4, I'm reading this text thinking about my own sort of way of being in the world. And in Romans 4, um, I can't find my pencil marks in here. Okay, Romans 4, uh, verse... Wow, I really do need uh, stronger glasses. Uh, Romans 4, verse 18. I'll just read this to you. Hoping against hope, he believed... Abraham, he believed he would become the father of many nations according to what was said. So numerous shall your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith... When he, when he considered his own body, which was already as good as dead, for he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Listen to this. Being fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Abraham despite the evidence of the senses at some respect, in some respect, despite what reason would say at some level, was fully convinced. And, yeah, I just found that very, very... God saying, Eric, you need to have greater trust in my promises and what I've said and what I've done in Jesus uh, as you go forward in life. In 1 John 5.13, the the writer says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And I feel as if God's calling me to greater confidence. So let's turn back to uh, John and make one more observation of the text. We saw how he responded. He believed the word of Jesus, and he went. 
And now notice sort of the, the conditions or the nature of that response. He went on his way even before, even before the miracle was verified. So uh, go back to John and uh, verse 50. It says, John 4, verse 50, it says, <clears throat> And he, uh, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he started on his way. And as he was going down, his slaves met him and told him that his child was alive. So he asked them the hour when he began to recover, and they said to him, Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. The father realized that this was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he himself believed along with his whole household. Now, this was the second sign that Jesus did after coming from Judea to Galilee. So, he goes on his way, and you have this structure. He had a request. He was re- it was rebuffed. There's a response, and there's an answer to it. He travels back, and his slaves come out to him and confirm that when Jesus said to him, your son will live, it happened. His son was healed. Now, you might be thinking, okay, fair enough, but that hardly amounts to a pilgrimage. He, he, he traveled back 25 miles. He only had to live within the tension for a day. And, in, and then he, he sees a verified miracle. Eric, you don't know what it's like for me. You don't know... Um, how long I've been pleading with God, how much anguish and despair that I'm in. Um, God's response to me doesn't feel like a mere delay. It feels interminable. And, and, uh, and it's true. Uh, your pilgrimage, it's true that his pilgrimage on this note was short. It was a day. And yours might not be. And I don't want to make light of that because I don't want to come across as just saying, believe Jesus and go. I know that it is a battle and it's a journey and it's a pilgrimage. It's, it, is, it is often the case that it's with great difficulty that we live between requests, response, Promise, fulfillment, already, not yet. Consider the alternative. If there is no God, and we live in a world that is just sort of matter and motion, we live in a world that has no compensation, no moral compensation, no natural compensation. The universe is just a bleak place, and you just got to accept it. It's comprised of blind physical forces. The universe is blind 
and cold and pitiless and indifferent to you. You have the DNA that you have. It is what it is. Dance to its dictates. And if that picture of reality is true, you will die. And guess what? Death is Lord. If that is how the story ends, death is Lord. It has vanquished all. But even if that story is true, atheism does not get rid of suffering. It just reinterprets it. And at some level, the only difference between me and you who have hope in God and are on a pilgrimage and somebody who, that denies God is that we have patience with God. We have patience with God that that ending is not the ending. And we wait. If you look at the text, you'll notice that the royal officials first request puts Jesus on the royal official's time. Jesus rebuffs. And in the second request, Jesus puts the royal official on his time. And you and I are in that same time and place. We are in Jesus' time. And we are not given an answer to how long that time is. We're not given an answer to the nature of our pilgrimage. We, we're not given any time frames. But my exhortation to you, Grace, is to keep waiting. Keep waiting. It's as if God is saying to you, Keep waiting. I'll be right on time. Keep waiting. I see you. And I will be right on time. And in the meantime, we're on a journey and a pilgrimage, and we have to trust the promises of God and lean into them. As we move forward, and you see, there's going to be five more signs of the Gospel of John, what you'll see is that in the Gospel of John, when people encounter Jesus, it's going to end on this, when people encounter Jesus, they're given two options, faith and belief or unbelief. When you encounter Jesus, there's either greatest awareness of who he is and what he's doing, or there's misunderstanding of him and a rejection of him. And you too have that option. But like the royal official, believe in God's promise. Go your way. Trust not in yourself. Trust in the person. Trust in Jesus who defeated death and proved false the lie that death is Lord. Jesus is Lord.
In 2 Corinthians 1.20, Paul, speaking of Jesus, says, For in Him, every one of God's promises is a yes. For this reason, it is through Him that we say the Amen to the glory of God. Allow me to get a little bit charismatic on you. Forgiveness. Yes and amen. Cleansing. Yes and amen. Redemption. Yes and amen. Healing. Yes and amen. Eternal life. Yes and amen. Go, your son will live. Yes and amen. Romans 15.4 For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction so that by the steadfastness and by the encouragement of the Scriptures we may have hope. People, the Word of God reveals Jesus. You need this. This is your nourishment. Man does not live by bread alone. You need to read this. You need to meditate on this. This needs, a, this needs to be, I know it sounds cheesy, but it's true, your daily bread. This is your daily bread. This is where you find the yes and amen, the promises of Jesus. This is where you find the promises and the confidence to go, believe, and go on your way. Allow me to pray over you Paul's words to the Romans. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God.